Good morning, church. Oh, man, what a nice day. Does this sound hot to anybody? Louder than usual? Well, too bad. It's too late now. And I'm not going to speak any quieter. Good morning, church. Let me get a quick drink of coffee. Aliyah does a great job picking out our worship music, and some days we do these wide ranges of, uh, I'm not a very good vocalist, I get by. We had a very wide range today, it's a very low stuff, it's a very high stuff. So I've got a day's work in, and I'm just beginning to talk. It's great to see everybody, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, if you've been following along uh, with us, we've been going straight through. Um, If you find that tedious or boring, I don't know what to tell you, we're finding it amazing as we get together in our small groups and you see these threads that connect from chapter to chapter, from verse to verse. Um, it's not just a bunch of random thoughts. It's not a bunch of things that are just uh, good ideas crammed into a book. This was a letter that was written, um, and all of it's very co- cohesive and concise. We're going to see more of that today as we jump into 1 Corinthians 9. There's going to be a lot of callbacks, things that sound very familiar from 7 and 8. You're going to hear more of it next week when we talk about 10. That's not a, if it's a surprise to you, what a wonderful surprise that the Bible actually talks in a very cohesive and concise manner about uh, very specific issues and gives them the proper depth that they, they, uh, they desire. So today's sermon is going to be, I know my rights. We're talking about rights. We're going to talk about it more today as uh, Leah touched. If you've got your Bible, uh, feel free to follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screen and you can read with me if you are so inclined. So 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For although I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, 
though not myself being under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these encouraging words. Uh, they may feel like they cut deep or, uh, or maybe attacking something that we hold dear um, or don't hold dear, perhaps. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, my words are set aside today, that your word will speak uh, with a volume that is, is triumphantly loud over anything that, that we would have to share as humans, Lord. Your word is powerful, it is preeminent, and it is here to encourage us and rebuke us and discipline us and teach us. So let us treasure this time that we have, this awesome opportunity to have that happen this day. Senior sons, I pray. Amen. Okay, so Paul's just finished talking about liberty. Well, I tell you, tough crowd. <laughs> My wife, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so Paul just finished talking about liberty in Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8. So um, he sure did. He, it's it's going to maybe sound a little bit like a broken record. Uh, liberty is one of those things that we talk about kind of in tacit tones around the church. Christian liberty, we like the freedom to do things. Uh, this is okay. What, what are the rules about A, B, C, and D? And if there are specific rules, that's very comforting to us because we know when you were right or we're wrong. When there aren't specific rules, we get into these debates and arguments in the church, and we call those arguments lots of times Christian liberty. Paul's having this same issue thousands of years ago, and he's talking about this because there are people that when you speak about liberties, nod their head, and other people that furrow their brows. If you've ever talked to anybody about Christian liberties, you'll, you'll recognize this reaction. Uh, what does the Bible say about this? And you're like, I know what you want me to tell you it says about this, but I'm going to tell you what it actually says about it, and it's nothing. <sighs> well, the people that don't like that Further brow. Well, that's not my understanding. The people that are like, that's the kind of thing I want to be up to are like, yes, finally, I can do that because it's okay. What Paul's saying here in all these chapters and very specifically here is careful about these liberties. Yes, these are rights afforded to you by the word, by God, the creator of all things, sovereign over it. But understand what those mean to you and to others around you. And as you begin to, to decide what kind of liberties you want to engage in, know that uh, you probably want to be more thoughtful about than just, oh, anything goes, great, good news for me. This chapter being here is not a coincidence. If it feels like, oh, he's kind of going on a little, bit of a, a little bit of a rant here. Yeah, he certainly is. And you can bet that the people that are asking him questions are, are getting to the bottom of this. I remember as a young man, I, I had a pastor once ask me, he went to a youth, a youth group, and as a youth, I thought, that seems like a reasonable question to me, but he said, I went to a youth group, and they said, how far is too far in physical relationships? He said, at that point, I knew I was in deep trouble. I refused to answer the question, I left. And I thought, that seems like a reasonable question. I mean, but, but his perspective is, nothing, don't even think about 
what could be too far, right? Your head should be elsewhere. You need to be out there serving. Well, the reality is things like this are going to come up. And as a church, we ought to be able to address what the Bible says about anything at all. It may be nothing, but it may be something quite specific. Paul's getting asked these same questions. I heard so-and-so was eating meat. I heard it was sacrificed to an idol. I thought that was okay. Well, these guys are telling us not only is it okay, but we should absolutely do it to prove to the world. And Paul's trying to nip this stuff in the bud. Hold on. We are not out here to demonstrate liberty. We are out here to proclaim Christ. We have and enjoy a great deal of liberty. Make no mistake, church. A great deal of liberty. It may feel sometimes that church is robbing us of things. I want to go out and sin. Well, yeah, you don't have the liberty to sin. Now, do you? Can you go sin? Of course. Is it something that's afforded to us and Christ-like and biblical? No, we oughtn't be doing it. But there's plenty of things that aren't sin that we can enjoy. But he cautions us against taking those liberties too far. If we're not careful, we begin to live for the liberty. We don't care if anybody knows about Christ. We want them to see how free we are as Christians. Look how worldly we are. We enjoy tons of things, just like you sinners do. But somehow we're not in sin. That's not the message. And you can bet Paul is talking about that behavior very specifically. You guys are spending more time in the idol worship place than the idol worshipers are, sitting back and eating their food. There's nothing wrong with the food, but don't turn it into an obsession of proving the world wrong by consuming the world's food. So Paul starts with basic rights, and he's walking through this in a very specific manner. Am I not free? Yes. Am I not an apostle? Yes. Have I not seen Jesus? Yes, you have. These are rhetorical questions, but they're meant to illustrate Paul's rights. If this is true, then the things afforded to me as a free man, as an apostle, as one who has seen Jesus should be afforded to me as well. Yes. And everybody that he's running to would be like, well, yes, I suppose so. Wait, so it sounds like Paul's insisting on getting some rights. No, that's not what he's doing. He's comparing his position in the church to others. When you read these letters, it sounds like Paul's a missionary, perhaps, or writing to a pen pal. But remember, he's been to these places. He knows these people personally. He founded many of these churches. So they're going to look up to him as a church father, certainly as a pastor emeritus or whatever. He, if anyone, would be entitled to rights afforded to Christians. So if there was an agreed-upon thing that we're going to do, all Christians can partake in this, Paul obviously would be able to do it. He's, he's founded this, this religion. He's talking about Christ. He's proclaiming. He's teaching them how to proclaim it. He's communicating very clearly the Scripture. Now, he also asserts that not everybody sees Paul in this way. There's plenty of people, just like in today's world, that no matter what you do, there's other people like, well, that's not right. I don't subscribe to Paul. I follow Cephas or Barnabas or whatever. Pick your poison, right? There's somebody else that I think is better than Paul. He has the right view, which was really code for the view that I like, right? This guy said I can't do that, but this guy said I could do that. The Bible talks about that as well. It's a thing about itching ears, but that's, we'll save that for another sermon. But Paul's dealing with the same nonsense. Everybody's going to line up behind the pastor that they think tells them that their life is okay. I don't even know what the truth is. I need to hear you tell me I'm okay. In this case, though, who he's writing to, he's assuming that these people trust him as who he says he is. They see him as a father in the faith. He acknowledges them. We've talked about this many times coming through Romans and Corinthians that Paul sees them as his children. And he's writing this letter of rebuke and encouragement saying, listen, kids, you know, you guys are arguing over something that doesn't make a, a, a great deal of sense in the grand scheme of things. And when I hear that you're doing it, it gives me pause. Paul, if, you, if you've not caught on by now, is like the master of rhetorical questions. I'm a big fan of this. I like metaphors and I like rhetorical questions, and Paul does as well. So when I read his writing, 
I always uh, smile to myself because we tend to make our points in the same way. Some people say it's very condescending the way that he's doing this, but I think the reality is it makes so much clarity evident without having to know all the history as he walks through this stuff. So all of these are intended to provoke thoughtfulness. When he's asking if he's free, when he's listing off all these rights that, 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 that Leah talked about and we just read through, these aren't intended for them to say, uh, yes and no, let me check the, the, you know, go to the back of the book and see, oh no, that's not a right. He tricked us, right? That's not the goal here. He's walking through things that should be very evident. Yes, there are many rights, many rights afforded to us as believers. Now, people are going to either expect those rights to be fulfilled or they're going to deny them. Those are really your choices. You can drive this speed limit. I can do it or I could drive less than the speed limit. I could even drive more than the speed limit. But the right afforded to me is the speed limit. I don't have to drive, but I can if I choose. That's what Paul's getting at. These rights are not something you must do. They're not something that without them you aren't a Christian. There are parts of Christianity that we must do. And he gets to that. But these, these are about the rights. And what he's, when he's talking about expectation versus denial, he's speaking about those who serve the church and benefit from the church. It kind of comes in across a little bit like a sermon on the amount. I use that term for when you preach about money. He's talking about, hey, you know, the church makes some money and we serve the church. Isn't it reasonable that we invest spiritually and we can reap a little bit of material reward? That's a point that he's making. That's a right that should be afforded us. He sees an evidence for this in the Old Testament. He's making a case for rights. It sounds like Paul feels underpaid. There's a younger version of me that's like, oh, this again, skip. Yeah, 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 everybody wants more money. You and me both, Paul. Been there, done that. But that's by no means, to, to quote Paul a little bit, by no means. Paul's not talking about being underpaid. His point is that these rights should be afforded. Yes, a church should provide for those that are leading them spiritually. If they're dedicated to that as their profession and have no other profession, it's more than reasonable. As a matter of fact, we would say it's a right afforded to them by the congregation. But these rights may be foregone as deemed best for service to Christ. Now, in today's world in America, this would be a pretty big deal. If a, if a pastor said, I'm not going to take the money because I believe we could use the money for reaching out to, to other people, sharing the good news of Christ more effectively, there's, there's a purpose for that money greater than me, you know, getting a new house or, or whatever else. I mean, this would be like, well, you know, what, what's going on here? How can you live on nothing? Like, I, we'll figure it out. God will take care of me or whatever. But the, the, the point Paul's making here is not, ah, okay. People that preach optionally will ask them if they want to get paid. The expectation should be, you're serving the Lord full time. Let us take care of you financially. Those that preach are entitled to that fruit. It's a right given to them by the church. They're entitled to it. But, but, Paul and others that he's talking about, we just see some others, tacit others, haven't asked for this right to be fulfilled. Now, when you say something like this, right, it can come across, no surprise, we just talked about this kind of father in the faith, children in the faith, like, you know, well, I'm, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed, right? <laughs> like, I'm not telling you you have to pay me, but I was hoping you would. And he's making a point that's not what he's getting at here. This isn't a lecture about make sure you pay people that come and help the, the church, the point is, when people that help the church don't, ex don't, don't expect payment, they don't, even if you offer it, they don't take it, that should be a very interesting thing to you. It shouldn't be like, we dodged that, but let me save the money. It should be, what's going on? Why aren't you taking the money? What can we pray for you about? How are you being provisioned for? Is there something else going on? 
Is there something that you would have us do with this money in lieu of giving it to you? Now, he's just using one example here. But Paul's talking about he hasn't taken anything from the audience, and he doesn't intend to. Now, we'll get into other areas of Corinthians where we see Paul talking about taking some things from churches. So it's not like he is is begging all the time or whatever else. But in this letter, to these people he's writing to, he has not taken something from them. And he doesn't intend to. This isn't about cashing in. And, no, he's not bragging about his thriftiness. There's no pride in being poor, only boasting in God's work through it. Paul's making this very clear. I'm not telling you to be poor because poor is good. I'm telling you to be poor if through that poor living, you can glorify God better. He is a better servant for Christ by not taking this from them. And you might be thinking, how's that? You have to ask Paul. He's come to that conclusion, right? He has come to that conclusion that by doing this, this is better. Then then why bother? This is very logical, especially in our world. I don't know how many people work for free. I mean, we have volunteers that do stuff, but for our primary vocations, most of us expect to get paid. We use this to pay for bills and electricity, so on and so forth. The things that we would call necessary for life. The simple reason that Paul's bothering is because he has no choice. And this is where it starts to get really compelling about what's driving Paul. It's not his rights. It's not his poverty. In 9.16, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Not woe to me because, uh, woe to me if I don't have a, a nice, you know, donkey to ride on. I don't know what Paul would have done around those days, but like, you know, and I got a new robe. Woe to me if my robe is tattered and people can, you know, see my legs and how bruised and beaten they are. It's so sad. It's going to look like the church doesn't care about me and That's all he's talking about. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Everything else, everything else, all the rights, all the liberties, all of Paul's desires fall a distant second to preaching the gospel. Necessity is laid upon him. I don't don't want to breeze past that because... If you just take that verse alone and let that rattle around in your head this whole week, it will change your perspective of what it means to be a Christian in Paul's eyes. Necessity is laid upon him. Like he, he wakes up in the middle of the night. Anyone ever wake up in the middle of the night worried about something, concerned about something? I've done it. Is it that the world is not hearing about Christ adequately enough? It's not for me. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you that it was. I mean, it's happened a time or two where I've been concerned, but I, it doesn't stir me out of something. I don't, you know, in the middle of a conversation, say, I'm sorry, I'm just, ever, I'm just I'm so concerned that there are people dying in Syria that don't know who Jesus Christ is. I can't sleep. I can't finish this. I got to go. I got to do something. That has never happened to me. It's happening to Paul. You can tell by the tone of his writing. He's literally giving everything up. He's not taking money. He's not taking help. There's no time for that. I see what's going on here. I know you guys need the money for other things. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out is what I would say, what Paul would say is God will take care of me, and I believe it unequivocally. If, it has, if he has me die, starve to death in a prison cell, so be it. But necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's the only thing he's concerned about. I have got to preach the gospel. It is urgent. It is a, I can't stop thinking about it. Like I said, think about that this week and think about the things that we call necessities and the things we would consider for woe to me. And I I sadly wish it was more like Paul. Proclaiming the good news has to happen. Getting paid does not. 
Enjoying meat does not. Owning a firearm does not. Living in freedom, having a nice car, great uh, houses, multiple jobs, a beautiful family. None of that has to happen. Not to Paul and not to us. It shouldn't be for us. Necessity shouldn't be getting married. Necessity shouldn't be getting work or else. Necessity should be preaching the gospel. That's where we would find ourselves extraordinarily unfulfilled. Paul's not saying he would never take money. He's saying he chooses not to here. Surrender is victory. We talk about these uh, songs we just sang, I Surrender All. Here's a kind of a joke about this, like, I surrender some. I surrender a couple things here and there. That song would have no meaning if we said that, right? I surrender occasionally. Who's going to sing that? Like, well, I guess we all surrender occasionally. Yeah, there's something about surrending all. And that's all Paul's talking about. There's not a liberty that's like, well, this one, you know, you guys can have this and that and take that, but I've got to get paid or I can't, you know, or I have to, I've got to get married or I have to have a job or I need to be, continue making tents and I have to prepare an inheritance for my... He didn't have any of that stuff. Paul's desire to win people to Christ means he will deny himself completely. Paul's not acting like a servant or poor or a Jew or under the law, outside of law. He became as much those things as the law of Christ would allow. We're talking about this in a small group. This one cut me really deep. I'm happy to feign things like this. Yes, let's go act poor for the day. Let's you know, put on a dress down or whatever, go to an area. And... But Paul became that. It's, it's his words. To the poor, I became poor. To everybody, I became a servant. But when I'm ministering to the Jews, I acted like a Jew, in so much as I could, under the law of Christ. Those that are under the law, those are outside the law, those are the weak. Right? He just talked about this last chapter. This person's weak. They're struggling with meat sacrificed idols. Paul doesn't eat meat sacrificed idols. Why? It would cause them perhaps irreparable harm. I don't know. But that's what Paul said. So he doesn't do it. There's nobody stronger in their faith, perhaps, than Paul. He could have eaten meat, sacrificed to literally anything. He'd been fine. He knows, what the, he knows exactly what's going on. He didn't do it. Because in order for him to be able to reach those people, to serve them fully, he became them. I walked in their shoes, literally. I went to them. I spent time with them. It wasn't a quick visit. He's not writing a letter to a church that he stopped by and preached on one Sunday and left. <laughs> he, he knows these people. knows their families. knows what they're struggling with. They know him. Have you ever considered what Paul desired? What he gave up? I thought about that a lot as I was putting this sermon together. We don't get a lot of insight as to like Paul's hopes and dreams, right? We talk about that. Well, if, if, you, could, if you could have anything you wanted on this earth, what would you want? oh, I'll tell you what I'd like. I'd like a house on a quiet place and a nice little study area, not have to worry about money ever again. I don't know what Paul wanted. We know what he was before he became a Christian. It seemed like he was on a track to be a super Jew, right? Massive, king of the Pharisees, ultra-learned, right? Understands the law forward and backward. Can rule with a, a, you know, an iron fist, but a just, a just decision every time. And then Christ gets a hold of him and takes all that and turns it into something that's vastly different. Now he's telling people, hey, we're not, it's, not about, it's about serving people. It's not, not about lording over them. It's not about enforcing the law. It's about fulfilling the law through love. But I don't know what, 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 what Paul really wanted. We don't know. We really don't know what he gave up, what was in his mind, other than he wanted to preach the gospel. That's what we know. He told us that much. It's a necessity for him. Woe to him if he doesn't do it. Well, what about a house? What about a retirement plan, Paul? 
When you want to spend some time with your grandkids, well, you don't have any grandkids. What about your wife? Well, you don't have a wife. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what you'll find. All I have is Christ. When we sing that song, that was Paul to a T. He has nothing. A jail cell, not his. Caught in the jail cell, that's probably the state's. Here's where I live. The nothing here is mine. Anything he gets, they probably take it from him to torment him. All he had was Christ. And then he ends with a nice racing metaphor. The racing metaphor, I think it's easier to grasp if it's us versus the world. It's not about racing against other Christians and all this kind of stuff, about who's going to get the biggest blessing. I mean, but it's this idea about, the, you know, the, the world's running, and it's grabbing as many people as it can all the time. It wants absolutely to make the gospel seem like a joke, that there's no Christ, that there's no hope. It's all futile. It's all about today. It's all about serving oneself. And Paul's saying, hey, the, the, in, a, in a race, there's one winner. Now, who's it going to be? Christ or the world? Now, we know that God is sovereign, takes care of all this stuff, but he has charged us and has charged Paul with a task. And that task is sharing the good news to the whole world, loving your neighbor as you love yourself which is exactly what Paul's getting at. If you love your neighbor and you know your neighbor's struggling with something, you probably oughtn't do that right in front of them. Forgore those liberties. There's a goal that's set out for us, and we should do our part to get there. All right, let's talk about four key points. I know my rights. Know your rights. And I mean this. There's a, a, a tricky business here when it comes to talking about rights and liberties, and we say that they're not as important as serving Christ. We say, Wonderful then I'm going to ignore my rights and liberties. No, you should understand what the Bible grants. Paul clearly does. And through that, he's able to do some incredible preaching to those that are trying to comprehend what liberties and rights are and what sacrifice means. Second thing we're going to do is willfully surrender those rights as the Spirit leads. Don't leave those last four out. <laughs> it becomes so easy to just, uh, well, I'll surrender the rights and I'll make a big deal of it and it'll be about surrender. And that's what I'll begin to worship is my own sacrifice. Preach the gospel through your sacrifices. And fourth, be vigilant and ready to run the race to the end. Let's dive into these. So Paul's not waffling about things he might like. He's not talking about the kind of things you would hear me talk about when it comes to things that might be really nice to have. Like, well, you know, a car with better fuel economy or just, you know, a weekend away or a little quiet in this house or whatever. I don't know. Paul is talking about exactly what he's entitled to. He is he's quoting scripture. He is making absolute perfect sense of, of what Christ did on the cross and what that means to followers in Christ. He knows exactly what he should be entitled to, and he knows exactly what he's able to partake in. You can't write a, 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 a book of the Bible talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols if you do not understand completely that meat sacrificed to idols holds no power in the grand scheme of things. He knows that these are not carnal desires, but biblical liberties. What we don't see here is what Paul's saying is something like, what I like is a nice, strong cup of coffee. I recommend that for you. That's not what he's talking about. These aren't things that he enjoys. These are things that you will need to contend with. We are going to have to eat food to survive. You're going to have to breathe air to survive. You're going to have to share the gospel to people in areas of lifestyles that are vastly different than yours, perhaps incongruent with yours. Gentiles at this time were really, really difficult to minister to, to Jews, to the point of impossibility. Commingling with Gentiles was seen as sinful. So now you got Paul saying, we got to get out there and tell these Gentiles. They're like, we, we can't go. Like, we're not supposed to do that. And he's like, well, that's over now. Right? 
That, that was a time. That was God's law. The provision was there. to spread the kingdom this way. Now we're doing it this way. This is what Christ taught. This is what we're going to do. So we're going to go out to the Gentiles, become as much of a Gentile as we can to show them that they are not excluded from God's grace because of where they are in life. We should know the same thing. When we go and talk to people who don't know who Jesus Christ is, get ready to face some stuff that we might find detestable, really difficult to square up. But you can't be a Christian and do the things you're doing. And what's our tendency? Stop doing those things and then come to church. Paul's point is, no, 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 no. We're going to go over there and tell them the truth. And then Christ will, will, will absolutely grab a hold of them and the Holy Spirit will begin to change them. And then that will get taken care of, or it won't, but that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to cleanse the world. We're called to tell the world about Christ. We are not supposed to be worried about who's doing right and wrong. It's easy to do that because we can measure it. We built societies on laws. But Paul's saying, you need to know what your rights are so that when you go out and you talk to somebody else, you can say, well, that's a bridge too far. I want to speak to you about Christ, but I'm not going to be able to participate in that activity or that event or eat that drink or consume that food or whatever. I'm not going to be able to do that because that's going to be a problem for me. I know what my rights are, and that exceeds what my liberties are. But other than that, yeah, let's, let's, let's go. I can sit down at a table with you. I can recline. We can have a conversation. I can be seen in public with you. I can pray with you. There's a million things that we can do. We need to know that. We need to know exactly what we're, what we're able to do and what we could possibly give up to serve, which leads us into the next one. As we know what our rights are, we willfully, willfully surrender those rights as the Spirit leads. Ah, yes, the tricky part. Big bullet. This is not poverty for poverty's sake. I actually put this bullet in, took it out a couple times. But self-flagellation does not glorify God. Surrender does. Now, the stipulation here is that self-flagellation, you know, where the people whip themselves. If the Holy Spirit is moving you to whip yourself for some reason, uh, maybe that would glorify God. Uh, there's probably some outlier here, uh, but I'm generally speaking, when we talk about self-flagellation, it's not spirit-led. It's us wanting to demonstrate to the world how pious we are, how little we think of ourselves. Oh, you know, I'm nothing compared to you. My God is so great. I'm beating myself because of the mistakes that I've made. And what we, when we get into this place where we begin to, we idolize poverty, we idolize sacrifice or suffering, we denigrate the name of Christ by saying, Christ's cross, the work of Christ on the cross was not enough. I've got to suffer a little bit more. Christ paid for a lot of what I did, but not everything. So I'm going to starve myself for three days. I'm going to beat myself here. I'm going to sequester myself and, and scream until my, my throat gives out. That should take care of the, the, the remainder of the sin that Christ clearly wasn't able to, to, to pay for. Careful. We should be mindful and prayerful about our opportunities to forego rights for God's glory. What we see here is not Paul saying, look at all the things I'm doing without you guys even knowing I was doing it. Surprise, he's answering questions. They're probably wondering why he hasn't taken money. Aren't you entitled to money? We tried to pay you, you wouldn't take it. So-and-so said uh, they didn't want to pay you, and someone else told me that you didn't want to get paid or that you can't get paid. So he writes there saying, listen, yes, I can get paid. Yes, I'm entitled to payment. I have foregone that payment because the work of Christ here is going to be better served if I don't take it. But I know exactly that I'm entitled to it. You guys should have offered it to me, but that's okay. I don't want it. But, but the, the truth of the matter is there are things that we will give up. And when we give them up, we should say to ourselves, I am surrendering this 
for God's glory, not for mine, not for the glory of the church, not for the glory of my family, to let everybody see how pious we are, how sacrificial we are, how deep we dig. Look what, look what good people we are. None of that nonsense. It's about Christ only, only. And as we do that, we preach the gospel through it. A great way to know if your sacrifices serve you or Christ is to figure out how difficult it is to preach the gospel through it. Set your house on fire. And people come up like, your house on fire. I say, it's okay. It's for the glory of Christ. And they'll say, really? Tell me how. Well, the house is on fire, isn't it? I mean, think of the sacrifice I made. Like, yeah, but how does that glorify Christ? Like, well, I don't know. But it's very sacrificial. And only somebody that really loved Jesus would do that. And people will walk away and throw, what are you doing? What a waste of a house. You burnt the house down. You could have housed 12, 20 or 30 families in there. This will be the world saying this to us. We hear it all the time. Church does boneheaded things and tries to fall on the sword like we did a great job. That's nonsense. The world sees through that stuff. Nobody sees through what Paul's doing. They're asking him questions while he's doing this. He's telling them. I don't need to go into all that, but if, since you asked, I'll tell you. Yes, I deserve to be paid. Yes, you should probably pay people that preach and work there. However, I don't want it. We don't want it. We know what's going on, and we'll, when the time's right, we'll take it. If we go somewhere else and they're, they're flush with cash and ministries are blowing up and they can afford us to go A, B, and C, when I see that happen, I say, wow, Christ has a plan for giving me 200 denarii or whatever because it's, this seems evident and reasonable, so let's see what I'm going to do with this. Something tells me it's going to get confiscated by a Roman guard, but maybe I'll get an opportunity to share with him because he finally brought bread for his family. Who knows what's going through Paul's head? Paul shared quite a bit about what he's endured. This whole chapter is a lot about Paul's suffering, his sacrifices, the liberties he's given up. Now, this continues for a bit. But he also quickly shares that it wasn't for his glory or gain. This wasn't about Paul looking good. It wasn't about Paul setting an example on, if you sacrifice like Paul did, you'll be good to go. Another big thing, people, oh, don't pay me. If Paul can't get paid, then I won't get paid. <laughs> Why didn't Paul get paid? Well, I don't know. Well, you missed the boat, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul doesn't want you just copying him. Now, if you're going to copy somebody, to be frank, Paul's probably a good choice. But don't stop there. Understand what's going on. Sharing our suffering, our sacrifices, and ascribing glory through it is very powerful. Anybody ever seen the videos that they run on Facebook and stuff like that of somebody that's endured something horrific and they talk about God's sovereignty still? Like they're... Hymn writers, and there's a, you know, some great hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, written by a guy who lost his, his, sends his wife on a, on a boat, and only his wife survives and his kids die at sea. I don't know how much this is. A, but anyway, and he writes this song about, like, God is still good, and it's okay because God is God, and I'm not. And I can't make sense of this right now, but I know God's okay. There's a reason that that stirs people of all, all across because it doesn't make sense. Where's the vengeance? Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you going to make that right? It's already handled. It's already good. Yes, it's suffering, and yes, it's a sacrifice, and I'm intentionally not dealing with this, uh, but it's for the glory of God. I believe that by, by me foregoing this liberty, by, for, by me not taking advantage of this, that, that the work of Christ is going to be furthered, and I'm great with that. That's where the necessity lies for me, not the liberties. It's in the proclamation of Christ. But through this Caution is, is warranted to avoid the woe is me syndrome. I know Paul said woe is me, but it wasn't about his liberties. He was talking about woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. If you get stuck in this notion of sacrifice and you see some traction, get back on your knees in prayer. Now what? Now what, Father? 
I might be done. It might be one or two liberties I'm going to give up for a season in an effort to further the kingdom. But if you get, if a lot of people respond to that, then we start thinking, well, I, here's a recipe. Oh, church, another, another sacrifice on y'all's behalf. Last night I cut my feet off at the ankles. Amen. Right? I'm like, what? what are you doing? I'm like, well, I don't know. But woe is me. I'm in great pain for you. Like nobody asked you to cut your feet off. It serves nobody. Woe is you. What are you doing? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to keep sacrificing well beyond what was called because I saw some good things happen when I sacrificed at the beginning. Every time, think of these things as a a feedback loop. All right, God's called me to this. I've been in prayer spiritually. Here's what we're going to do. Holy Spirit, guide me back to the top. Now what? You can read this. You can see Paul doing this in all of his letters constantly. Yes, I take money from you, but I don't take money from you. I'll enjoy food with you, but I won't eat with you. Why? I may not get to visit you, but I'd like to. I'm never going to visit you even though I have to. You know, these sorts of things. Like, this is the way that it goes. Constantly seeking the Spirit's work in his life. Not about him, not about looking pious, not about looking sad. And the last thing is being vigilant and ready to run the race to the end. You know, Paul Capstone's this, and I think it's fantastic because it's really tricky business to start to think. It's, it's an easy trap to fall into, rather, that if I just sacrifice myself down to nothing, then it's all going to come together. I'll just do without, and God will be glorified. Paul's saying, hold on a minute. That's not how that works. If you're going to start going without liberties, if you're going to get into sacrifice, you've got to be ready. You've got to train your body and your mind. We do well to avoid the distractions of the world. Let's pray for a necessity to be laid upon us, a burden to share the word with anybody and everybody we meet, a desire when we see somebody that doesn't know the Lord to say, God, how can I best reach them? That's what all this is about. This isn't about putting up a billboard saying, Chris Heacock has sold his home and donated the money to charity. Wow, incredible work. What a, what a guy. No. If asked, that's a great idea maybe. Share that. I don't know. Talk to other people about it. So why would you do it? I'll tell you exactly why I did it, and this is why. A led to B, led to C, led to D, and this is uh, the best way for me to be able to share Christ, and that's what was the burden that was on my heart. That's the necessity, not to look pious, not to look sacrificial, but to share the good news. Once you feel the need to share the good news, everything else fades away. I can speak from uh, experience on that. Not full-time. It's not a full-time thing for me. I'm not all the, every second of every day like Paul talking about. I'm, I'm not there. But when there's a, a compulsion and you see things going, the reason that we do what we do at this congregation is because of this. There's a necessity laid upon us to share the good news, and that's it. Nothing else. No other fluff. No other good news about, well, you know, here's, let's talk about how you could be richer or more happy or how all these other things can work together for you. It's about God. It's about the Word of God in a world that has no good news outside of it. Call to action. If you don't know who Jesus is, i got wonderful news. Today's the day. Today's the day. If you're online and you're hearing this and you're thinking, hey, that sounds pretty good. I've known a lot of people that sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. I've been frustrated with that. I don't even know who this Jesus is, and I I can't make heads or tails of it. Reach out to us. Let us know. If you're here today and want prayer, we're happy to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to serve with you. That's no joke. We, we live to serve here. We want to serve our communities at, at large as much as we can, uh, serve the world all for Christ's sake. If you're a member here, pray for an opportunity to forgo your rights in the service of Christ. You'll notice I'm not asking anybody to give something up. This isn't like a Lent thing. Take something you love and forgo it. That'll somehow glorify God. No, no, no. Be intentional with that. Pray for an opportunity 
Maybe something that you enjoy, something that is fine for you to enjoy, could be laid on an altar, and through that act, be able to share the good news of Christ with somebody else. I don't know what that opportunity is. I don't know which liberty it's going to be. Pray for that. Pray for the Spirit to lead us to a place where we have an opportunity to set something aside, as Paul did, for the service of Christ. And finally, be in prayer for our nation, our state, and our community. We I was guilty as anybody. We, get, we sit in here and we talk a good game about sacrifice and then we go back out into the world and we go just toe-to-toe with everybody over everything. No, I want them to hear about Christ, but not before they hear about this, that, and the other. Church, we've got to knock that off. We've got to knock it off. We've got to start talking to people about who Jesus is and let these, let these other things fall aside. If you're looking for liberty to give up, how about the freedom to say whatever you want in this nation? Take a week off and see how it goes. Talk to people about the truth of Christ instead of the things that are inciting all these different behaviors. I'm not saying there's not room for that. But if if you want to reach somebody for Christ, it's much easier to do so with the good news of Christ. I know it probably seems a little crazy maybe, but it will work. With that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these challenging words. I thank you for the ability to share them. Lord, I pray that this good news has reached reached a a fresh ear today that has maybe never heard the idea of sacrifice and and Christian liberty put this way. I've been confused at what that means, Lord. As we all learn together, as your word uh, hones us, as we hone one another by discussing your word, Lord, I pray that we don't just become very, very sharp, beautiful tools that hang on a pegboard and do nothing, Lord. I pray that we are put to work and that we require to be sharpened often, so that we can, be, we can be and remain effective for you in the world, Lord. Help us to evaluate the liberties that we enjoy, especially in a place like America. We are afforded, we are afforded rights that other people in the world would, would, they would blow their mind what we are able to do in this country, Lord. Help us not to lean on that and, and, and trust that, that because of these rights afforded to us, that we are doing exactly what you would have us do, Lord. Help us to be able to look at these rights afforded to us and see what it is that we could set down, what we could forego in an effort to further your kingdom.